Can you hear uh, well in the back? The very last, yeah. Continue on where Corrado left off last night about the advice to, from the Buddha to Rahula. Uh, but before we get to that, a little bit, uh, a few preliminary remarks. What I'd like to go into tonight is learning from the teachings and also learning from ourselves, uh, studying the teachings, studying ourselves. Um, because the essence of the Buddha's teaching requires both. How to practice at a Dharma talk. It's really not like a college class where you're here to accumulate information and practice agreeing and disagreeing, pre-associating, and though that's very much like existentialism, that it's different than Zen. Uh, if the mind does that, of course, minds do things like that, but see if you can practice listening. Then even if the talk is a bust, you will have not wasted your time. <laughs> the perspective that i like to, to share is one where uh, you could view the Buddha's teaching as... Uh, strongly suggesting to us, the, the human race that is, that we really don't know how to live and suggesting ways to help us learn how to live. My understanding of Buddha Dharma has learning as central. It's not a mere accumulation of lots of techniques, uh, attending uh, and, and complying with all kinds of forms, although those are all helpful. It's a lifetime of learning and learning how to get free. Uh, learning how to live can't be separated from self-knowing. That is, uh, if you don't understand yourself, uh, you will be putting your signature on all your actions and that signature will be flawed. It will lead to suffering again and again and again. And so... Uh, it takes a certain humility to perhaps come to a pause in life, at no matter what age you are, and realize, you know, I, I have a lot to learn about how to live uh, without taking that as a humiliation. Uh, but to begin to take stock of how you actually do live, not in a theoretical sense, but from moment to moment, situation to situation, how do we actually live? The self-knowing, and I'm making it knowing rather than self-knowledge, uh, the reason being that knowledge is something you accumulate uh, and you store up in your biocomputer as memory or more often little notebooks full of your insights. I hope you're not going to waste your retreat filling up a spiral notebook with insights, my insights. Uh, it's not about enlarging the story of our life, revising it, uh, adding a new chapter in it, uh, the story of our life starring ourselves, of course, written by ourselves, directed by ourselves, edited by ourselves, uh, publisher ourselves, everything, us. Uh, liberation's from that. It doesn't mean that you don't have a story. 
But if you're living on behalf of your story, uh, that's what we're doing. The ego is constantly concerned about how it's doing. If you listen to your mind, you will see that all day long it's preoccupied with itself. How I'm doing? Am I better? Am I worse? Comparing and so forth. It's very insecure, all of us. We're quite fragile, we humans. We're easily offended, easily hurt. Uh, We don't have a big capacity for receiving reality. If you don't trust me, check your own experience. Or if you need an authority, T.S. Eliot said that in the Four Quartets. He said, these humans, we humans, don't have much of a capacity to receive reality. So that's a head-on collision with Dharma. Because the training is about learning how to meet reality, our reality. And there's something in us that doesn't want to. We'd much rather even make up a negative reality about what the future holds for us. Relive past traumas again and again and again. Or, of course, completely romanticize the, pre- the past, the good old days. Maybe they were good. Often I have found they weren't that good. Or making up a future that's glorious to replace what isn't happening now, but what will come if you keep doing this practice. Then everything's going to be all right. Your mind will be radiant. It says so in the books. The Buddha talked about it. Okay, so self-knowing is something that happens in the moment. There's a clear seeing of how you actually are living. Much of that amounts to reactivity. Life keeps impinging upon us, and then we react. We can't help it. We react, and that reaction comes from conditioning. It comes from our past, from our heritage. And each one of us is a receptacle for the whole history of the human race. We all have a very, very ancient lineage, without exception. Somewhat different, different religious, ethnic, geographic, cultural, and so forth. But um, modified by the particular family, school you went to, your unique life experiences. And that uh, dictates, to a great extent, how we receive life. We've had a lot of practice, and you can call it habit energy, You can call it conditioning. And a lot of Dharma practice is deconditioning, is getting free of unexamined mechanical ways of treating life, which if they worked, we wouldn't be here. They don't seem to work. Even those of us who have good conditioning, loving parents, a reasonably healthy body, blah, blah, blah. Somehow we we also need some help. So as I see it, a retreat center like this is really, we're here for, this is adult education. I hope you don't see that as demeaning. There usually is an adult ed place in every city. Is there one where you live? There's a few in Cambridge. This is adult education or adult re-education. It's uh, seven days where you have the opportunity to temporarily have very little responsibility. Okay, you have a little yogi job. So you hate vacuuming and you got vacuuming. Oh, it's really terrible. It's the end of the world. Just vacuum, for goodness sakes. Don't fight out your battle with your mommy here. It's now 60 years later. Vacuum. 
when you don't see it. That's what self-knowing happens in the moment. We see ways in which we're trapped. We see ways in which we're unskillful. If you recall, what Carrado was pointing out was that uh, the skillful, unskillful has to do with, really, it has to do with skill in mind, skillfulness in the mind. And there are certain uh, actions, and action here is used both in terms of thinking and speaking and also acting, physically acting or doing things. Uh, there are those actions that produce suffering. They're unsatisfactory for us and for others. And then there are skillful actions. They are beneficial. They're helpful. And they're helpful for us and they're helpful for others. And so the learning that I'm talking about, self-knowing, if you start paying attention, it includes the full range of being alive. That includes all kinds of small things you can learn if you pay attention. Uh, you can learn so much about yourself. A lot of it is not uh, high-level Dharma stuff, although everything in its own way can be related to, to Dharma. Just You have an opportunity here. Um, let me. It's not exactly an aside, but... A retreat has a daily life. We have a language at retreat centers that is somehow, uh, when I go back to the real world, meaning wherever you came from, well, what is this? Is this an unreal world? Aren't there challenges here? There's only life, as far as I can tell. And then we humans make up these forms. Oh, I'm on retreat. I'm a, we have names for our different roles and outfits. Uh, all I see is life, wherever I go. And wherever I go, personally, there I am again. That's quoting Buckaroo Banzai. I didn't make it up. Worst movie ever made. But within the first 15 minutes, he says, wherever I go, there I am again. And I go, whoa. And then I walked out. because I did. The movie was terrible. Okay, so what we're trying to do is convey a perspective that is only life, and life in the form of sitting and walking in silence. So certain, this is a society, a little community put together for seven days. This is, there's a daily life here. It's not like daily life is back there, and this is, I don't know what, yogi land, excuse me. That's staff talk. I'm going into yogi land. Well, where have you been? Well, I'm, I'm a cook. Uh, is that practice or is that not practice? Oh, yeah, of course, everything is practice. What, what we're trying to convey here is uh, everyone agrees that uh, the Buddhist teaching applies to everything in life, but it can become a huge cliche. Because it's hard, and uh, we have to do it. And so if you can treat this as a whole life, your time here, that means everything. Dressing, undressing, washing, everything that goes on here. There's a life going on here. You might say, yeah, but there's no relationships, baloney. We're eyeing each other up, noticing that person has two different colored socks, not color, <laughs> not color coordinated, forming all kinds of romantic attachments without even, until the person opens their mouth at the end of the retreat. We call them yogi, what do we call them, yoga, yogi? Vipassana romances, VRs. It used to, I don't know if it still used that language. Um, 
and our mind is still doing judging, evaluating how I'm doing, how they're doing. Um, and there's, there are relationships, actions. Uh, we eat. We, uh, we do everything that goes on in life. And if you have that perspective that this is a piece of life, uh, rather than setting it off as something having nothing whatsoever, no, granted, it's very different. We're relieved of so many things, and that's why we can accomplish certain things here. But there are also certain things that don't happen here. We don't get challenged by relationship or work or family or lack of relationship or lack of work or lack of family or whatever your life is outside. And we are lay people. Uh, we, uh, the life we live is the one that we have to uh, that's what we have to learn. Learning how to live is learning how to live our life as it is. And each one of us is no, you're no, no one, we're not trying to pour everyone into the same mold. You have to, each one of us has to live our own life. But uh, I can't, this, this approach does not separate that from practice, nor practice from life. So that while you're here, there's this reality, learn how to do it. If you, there's resistance in your yogi job because you don't like it, wonderful. That gives you an opportunity to, to see things, to learn. That's the self-knowing. You see that this is beneath me. I'm a head surgeon at Mass General Hospital, and they have me cleaning toilets. Great. You are really fortunate. How could that? Uh, in this sense, the Dharma attitude is the world exists in order to set us free. So no matter what's happening to you here or there, it's an attitude we're trying to develop that everything is practice. Everything has the potential for learning and being skillful or unskillful. So self-knowing can include all kinds of learnings that are commonsensical as we pay attention. But the main kind of learning, of course, is, uh, has to do with what Karada was getting at. And that is uh, living in skillful ways that are that, are, that don't produce suffering, that are beneficial. And unlearning so many ways of living that we can't help but carry out because we're conditioned. And getting to know them and learning how to unlearn them, to make room for ways of living that are skillful. Um, <clears throat> crucial point here is learning. To me it is. It's what makes the practice for me personally very exciting, which gets better all the time, and I've been at it for quite a while. Um, when you think about learning, when I think about learning, I don't know what your relationship to it is. I have a hunch that at least some of it may overlap with mine. Um, I was someone who did enjoy learning. I was encouraged to do it, my home environment, very, lots of books, uh, education was uh, put on a pedestal. But learning was limited to that. Learning meant learning uh, how to read, how to write, how to do arithmetic, and then how to learn in classrooms and schools. And I enjoyed a lot of it, not all of it. And learning was that. Learning became that. Uh, and when we talk about now, when you hear, I hear more and more of it, parents talking about uh, they want a good education for their children. And my generation spoke that way too, not quite as much.
But what I mean by good education is an education that gets you a good job. We're being prepared to be good producers and consumers. Uh, a good education, if you look at it with innocence, uh, could include learning how to live, understanding what it means to live, to age, to die, how to live. That somehow uh, we're interested in gross national product, we're interested in getting a good job, and there's no, that's great to have a good job or a job. I don't mean to demean that. But if that's what learning is, it's to me rather limited. And that's why I see this as a, uh, a rehabilitation center. So learning how to, a good education would include, first and foremost, you learning about yourself, self-knowing. Because the suffering comes, uh, you could say this is the Buddhist approach, but I think it's beyond, it's not just Buddha, it's in every culture. Certainly in, a, in Western uh, culture, the, uh, Socrates was going at this over and over again. An unexamined life is not a, worth, a life worth living. The big question, how is one to live? Self-knowing, know thyself, extolled. And so uh, it, it's part of being alive. Now, think for a moment, is there anything that you loved to learn, maybe you loved it, and now, uh, not perhaps you've outgrown it or something, or something you really are doing now that you still love and you enjoy doing it. Maybe it's music, maybe it's cooking, maybe it's ballroom dancing. What doesn't matter? Um, it's a real joy to do it. Uh, you don't have to be prodded and pushed because you want to do it. Uh, what uh, a Feynman, uh, the uh, Nobel scientist, says that uh, real science, uh, the joy that comes from real science, uh, the learning that goes on in real science is, a, is its own discipline. That is, if you get into the beauty of learning, and here learning switches out of just classrooms and books, which is also good. It's not to... Uh, again, to say that's worthless, not at all. But in my own case, it took me many years to understand that I, uh, as one of my first Buddhist teachers said, you merely know everything. We were heading for Korea on the plane. I took out a big bag of juicy Dharma books. He said, what's that? And I said, oh, these are the books I'm, I was going to be there for a year. These are the books I'm going to read. And he said, no. He only had a, about 15 English words. No good. He said, you merely know everything. He says, that's your problem. It is? He said, yeah. Th one year, no reading. Seriously. Some of you know this. Uh, I didn't. I didn't read for one whole year. One of the hardest things I've ever had to do it was like a drug addict coming uh, cold turkey with no help. People didn't understand. I was groping for uh, labels on a ketchup bottle in English. <laughs> Citric acid, lemon, tomatoes. The patent number, O2. Uh, anything, just some words, man. And, of course, I, I'm back to reading, and it's different. But the message is, uh, the, the book we have to read is ourselves. Um, 
Now, when you think of, let's say, learning, loving to learn dance or whatever, a craft or a skill, most of us don't think of learning the art of living as being something that's a joy, that's a wonderful, wonderful um, privilege. Uh, let me, uh, one of my favorite quotes. This comes from a different realm. It's from uh, Hokusai, a, very, a Japanese artist. It's called The Hundred Views of Mount Fuji. If any of you have seen them, they're usually big waves and little boats going on waves, and then there's usually Mount Fuji, a corner of it, at different angles of it. Uh, it's not featured. It's always seen through the waves. And I just happen to like him. And that, uh, here's something I read in the introduction to The Hundred Views of Mount Fuji by him. Translated, of course. From the age of six, I had a mania for drawing the form of things. By the time I was 50, I had published an infinity of designs. But all I have produced before the age of 70 is not worth taking into account. At 73, I have learned a little bit about the real structure of nature, of animals, plants, trees, birds, fishes, and insects. In consequence, when I'm 80, I shall have made still more progress. At 90, shall, I shall penetrate the mystery of things. At 100, I shall certainly have reached a marvelous stage. And when I am 110, everything I do, be it but a dot or a line, will be alive. I beg those who live as long as I to see if I do not keep my word. Written at the age of 75, me, uh, 75 by me, Hokusai, Today, Guaco Rojin, the old man mad about drawing. What if we were mad about wisdom, loved, to, loved sanity, loved harmony, loved to, to understand this life, loved life? Um, I think the opportunity to connect with that is in Dharma practice. Now, granted, I don't know too many people who start that way. And so you have to stay with the practice long enough and really do it. You can't just do a little bit here and a little bit there. It's what Karada was getting at, at the importance of continuity. And when the, the potential that we all have starts to show itself, and we begin to see it actually is possible to understand and let go of so much unnecessary suffering. Mainly, the skill, skillfulness, is about letting go of suffering. The Buddha said all he's teaching is the end of suffering. Suffering in the end, psychological suffering. Unskillfulness is just continuing to manufacture suffering. What if we loved that? Uh, it's an ongoing thing. You're never finished. Uh, and one of the enemies of it, of course, is knowledge. I, I was in, the, uh, uh, in a previous incarnation. I was a professor at a university. And I have to admit, there was a certain um, arrogance and vanity about knowledge. That is, I read a lot. That came easily to me. I knew a lot. I got rewarded for it. I got paid for it. People looked at me starry-eyed for it. I wrote books about it. Great. Uh, but I lived from that authority. In other words, I gave authority to that, and my ego organized itself around that. 
Okay, now we come here. And in small ways, in some of the groups, uh, little statements like, you know, some of you reading your, you've, uh, you know, it's like uh, combat ribbons. You know, if you ever see generals who have, they've been in every, they have a, a chain of ribbons that go all the way down their uniform. They've been in this kind of that war, this per, every medal and so forth. Uh, in reading some of your resumes on the questionnaire, uh, you know, many long retreats, many retreats, this teacher, that teacher, um, and some of the comments were like surprises that um, I, I didn't know I could, the mind could be so restless. It shouldn't be, it basically it shouldn't be this way by now because I'm way beyond that point. Who said? So there can be an arrogance and a vanity there too about our dharma position, where we think we're at, where we think, what we think we've accomplished. We're never anywhere. Uh, if you can start fresh all the time, of course, and you hear this, beginner's mind, don't know mind, the mind that doesn't know. But it's really a, a great way to live. I'm not saying I've mastered it. But when you live from the authority of your past experience, you're living from the past. And that's between you and what's happening to you. So I wonder if, if it's possible for us to meet old Hokusai and little by little begin to understand, look, if you don't do it through Buddha Dharma, fine. The key thing is a life of awareness with the intention to learn, to understand, rather than to judge, all the time judging. Uh, I think that's uh, what animates me personally. And it comes out of very simple things. When I say listening to the teaching and listening to yourself, take a v one of the simplest things, breath awareness. On my own, I don't know about you, but I never would have thought up that method in a million years. If we got Al Einstein and all, you know, all the greatest minds who ever lived, put them in a think tank, took care of them for life, uh, and said, come up with something simple that can give us a bit of happiness and a respite from, the, from the, all the vexations of our mind. They wouldn't have come up with it. I can't, you know, it's like, oh, just follow your breath. It's simple. I can't, I don't think so. <laughs> so someone told me about this. It's an ancient method. It goes way back to India. It's, it predates the Buddha. In one view that I read, it goes back to Vedic times. It's 5,000 years old or more. So there are humans who learned this, and they passed it on. Fortunately, they gave it to us. Okay, you read about it in a book. A teacher tells you about it. You start to do it. And then, does it produce some calm and some joy? I'm asking you, and you have to answer for yourself. Do you really know that it works? See, that's what I mean by studying the teaching, studying yourself. It's an interplay. The Buddhist teaching is not a ism. It's not Buddhism. It's a misnomer. There is teaching. There is what, what you could call counsel of the wise, which in this case is the Buddha, and I would say it goes beyond the Buddha, just within what we call Dharma, the many, many uh, incredible generations of yogis, not just... Uh, Theravadan, but in all the traditions, who've sincerely studied their minds and how they live. What? And they know some things that we don't know. And we know some things where uh, science has mastered the outer world to an extraordinary uh, degree. 
So that's something I learned. I learned it because someone else gave it to me, and then I tested it. And once I found out, wow, this really does work, I just did more of it. That is, learning, when you even learn a small thing about how you live, I think it gives you energy. Because it's something you learn for yourself. You become more of a first-hand person. Rather than, because the wisdom that's being talked about, skillful is wisdom. Unskillful is the absence of it. Uh, it's not uh, quoting the Buddha or Plato or whoever you respect. That can be helpful, but the wisdom has to be lived. So let's get to the... Uh, refine this, this idea of skillfulness a little bit. First of all, to show you that it uh, runs through all of, uh, of the Buddhist teaching, central to it is the, un- the idea of cause and effect. Karma is an expression of that. But look, if, if the world were random, then it would be hopeless. What would be the point of doing this? Uh, because there isn't a, because what this is premised on, the learning that, that this is based on, is that we can see how we live, see what causes what, and correct it. If it was random, there'd be no lawfulness for us to learn about. So what would be the point of even coming here? Or if it was completely predetermined? Again, there's no point. It's not in my hands, it's in the hands of whoever, or whatever. Uh, Okay, then wh- why sit? Why bother to learn? It'll be done for you. Although that's an extreme, both are extremes. Uh, so what is being said is that there are consequences to our actions. And what the Buddha is also saying again and again is that we're responsible for our own happiness and our own unhappiness. It's tough medicine. Okay, so now we get to self note to. Uh, skillfulness. Let me just a few aspects of it to make it a little bit more alive to you as how uh, precious that way of looking at things is. The Four Noble Truths. The first noble truth, there is suffering in this life. That means that's an unskillful effect. There's a cause to it. Craving and clinging. That's an unskillful cause. So when we act unskillfully, we get suffering. That's the first and second noble truth. Third noble truth, there's cessation. There's an end to suffering. That's the, that's the outcome of skillful action. And what are skillful actions? The Noble Eightfold Path. It's one way to help us live. I'm not saying it's the only way, but it's a pretty good one. Then again, it has to prove itself as a pretty good one for you. So you can see that there it is. Um, when we deal with this, uh, it gets into issues of let, let's put it this way: uh, what is unskillful uh, largely comes down to what what you I'm assuming you've all read about the kilesas. So often called greed, hatred, and delusion. Greed, the, the mind that's always wanting something. Uh, hatred, the aversive mind, the mind that's always not wanting things. And then delusion, which is the ground out of which it all grows. Delusion is the confused mind, the mind that doesn't see accurately. 
Okay, so that uh, here's the link between self-knowing and learning how to live, because uh, you, the self-knowing that really is central to the Buddhist teaching is beginning to see those qualities in your own mind, to see when your mind is colored by wanting and what happens when the actions, verbal and otherwise, flow from wanting. If it produces happiness, full speed ahead. Don't bother with these teachings. And the other, aversion, they're relatively easy to see, not necessarily uh, easy to correct, but they're easy to see. Delusion is a harder one to see. That's the, the most difficult one because we are deluded. You, you see what I... That is, self-deception is huge in us humans. We're not lying. We think we know what we're doing. After all, we're adults. And it's just that based on what we know, self-deception means just what it says. We're deceiving ourselves, but we don't know it. So we have incredible confidence in something that doesn't work over and over again. So to, to learn about this requires humility, because if you think you know, how can you, you're not open to learning anything new about yourself. It requires courage, because you have to, some of what you see you won't like. And if you really want to enter into self-knowing and learning how to live, what's skillful and unskillful, uh, it's not from reading books. It's not even from just sitting, although it is tremendously helpful, developing the skills of mind and also seeing it at work. It's at work everywhere. But then when we are in action with people, it comes up over and over and over again. Are you willing to learn about that? So courage is required. Humility is required, real humility. And maturity is required, honesty. For, for example, I'm speaking in general. If this doesn't affect you, I apologize. It's very hard for us. You see, crucial here is the ability and the willingness to, to, to see our mistakes. Uh, learning how to live requires that we change our relationship to our mistakes. If you can't face your mistakes, if you, and typically it's hard for us to do that. Since childhood, we learn to blame others, to make excuses, or to just skim over it and not really get to see the consequences of our actions. That is a, a lot of what you learn. You see, oh, stop being defensive. Why are we, you, doesn't everyone here know what it feels like to be defensive? Uh, and the learning we're defensive because we don't like to see stuff about ourselves that assaults what? Some image we have of who we are. We don't like that. It's threatening. It's frightening. And yet that's the trap. Okay, so all of this requires a certain boldness, a certain maturity. Uh, can we learn? I hope we all are moving in that direction that to see an, a way of life that has not worked is not demeaning. It's not a humiliation. In a sense, you have to be strong enough to see your weakness. If you're so fragile that you can't face any weakness, can't look at it and learn from it, then I'm not sure that what I'm saying will make much sense or that it'll even 
It'll, you may not want to do it. And that doesn't mean you should go home because we're developing, we're strengthening the mind. Everything you're doing here is equipping the mind to, uh, because seeing is crucial here. Put in other language, what we're learning how to do is to see accurately. Vipassana, insight, seeing into, clear seeing. What that can help us to do is to see accurately rather than what we're doing now may not be exactly accurate. It's like if I didn't have these glasses, I see you, but it's not very much. It's just a bunch of blurs. Someone gives me these things. Wow, it's a different world. So we're refining our ability to the art of observation, but the observation is in the service of learning. Self-knowing, learning how to live, they're inseparable. Uh, what is skillful and unskillful, that's all, uh, it has to be learned. It's not like you, you hear Corrado's talk or my talk and say, yeah, that's right, I'm just going to live skillfully in every situation and forget about being unskillful. It doesn't quite work that way because it's an ongoing refinement. Uh, as your capacity, as your practice ripens and matures, you can see more. And what you might determine as being skillful at one level of practice, uh, a sitting later, as your mind becomes more clear and refined, uh, you can see something that it isn't what you thought it was. It's an ongoing refinement, and we're always challenged. Even the Buddha, let's assume the Buddha was fully awake. That's what Buddha means. He still had to pay attention as to what was skillful and unskillful regarding his attempts to help people. Because people get in the way. They, tr they, get, put them, they get in their own way. And some of what the Buddha tried didn't work. And he would correct it. The Buddha grew out of mistakes. Wisdom grows out of foolishness. Fortunately, there's foolishness. But then it's a question of what we do with it. And if you view life as... Uh, it's, uh, it's, we're here. It's a way. It's here to, to free us, to help. But we have, we're doing the liberating the lessons are being delivered by life. Uh, let me give you uh, a few other... Okay. Um, refinements on this, and then we'll call it a night for this. Uh, how do you know if someone's wise? Someone asked the Buddha this. And he gave a few hints. He said, look... If you want to do something and it's skillful, that's easy. You want to do it and it's skillful, no-brainer. Or, I don't want to do that and it's unskillful. You don't do it. That's another no-brainer. Here's the part that sorts us out, is it's unskillful, but we want to do it. Or, it's skillful, but we don't want to do it. Do you see what I'm getting at? I think parents must know a lot about. Look, if you're based on my observation, real parents do many, many things that they don't really necessarily enjoy. They're doing it for the benefit of the child. So it's not like it's just reserved for some esoteric folks. If we want to do it and it's skillful, that's easy. That's great. If we don't want to do it and it's unskillful, it's not even worth talking about. But it's when we want to do it and it's unskillful or we don't want to do it and it is skillful. 
And that comes up over and over and over again in life, where the old mind doesn't care about wisdom. It just wants to feel good. And it doesn't care about the consequences. And so we do stuff, and then we hurt ourselves and others in many, many ways. So the love of learning that's being referred to here is really loving how to learning how to how to live a sane life learning how to how to free ourselves no one can do it for us the buddha said he couldn't do it and the resources are teachings even teachers can play a small role tiny i know they're great masters and so forth but finally at least in the Buddhist approach, and you have to see for yourself. You have to test the teachings. And you have to see, does it indeed help you let go of suffering? If you're going to use this frame of reference. If it does, good. The proof of the pudding's in the eating. If it doesn't, and you keep doing it over and over again, it's worthy of investigation. Why why you keep doing it? And of course, we do that a lot. And so this is the learning that I'm talking about. Learning how to live and and learning about yourself can't be separated because the mind is always putting its stamp on everything. Everything is issued from the mind. We put our signature on everything. Uh, This whole skill of self-understanding requires self-awareness and all those other things mentioned, honesty, humility, a willingness to really learn and to learn some new ways and to learn how to love to learn. I don't think it comes all at once. There are a few, maybe some of us are gifted, but for me, a lot of it came when I had to learn that, you know, learning may end with a degree, certain kind of learning, but learning doesn't end with classrooms and degrees and certificates. If you take this perspective, it includes that form of education, but it's something you do for the rest of your life. Can we have a few moments of silence? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.